wedding yesterday, uh, full of all kinds of interesting words. Words are obviously pretty critically important. I remember being radically changed in vacation Bible school, and I'd recommend it for any age. Should be good. I, one of the first times in my life that I was able to listen to a message two or three times or two or three messages in the same couple hour period in the morning and still be able to move as a kid. Can't do that as easily uh, in pews. I have a book at home called uh, 101 Things to Do During a Dull Sermon. I, <laughs> I practiced almost all of those as I was growing up, including counting all the knot holes in the ceiling. Uh, that sort of thing. Hopefully, uh, you can amuse yourself this morning doing the same as we go along. Uh, as I mentioned, words are, are critically important in our life. Uh, this wedding that I was at yesterday, full of uh, I, I did, I do's, and I wills, I, all those kinds of things. And I remember uh, it was a very formal kind of uh, ceremony in a huge cathedral down in downtown Denver. Just this beautiful thing that attracts your attention immediately and makes you whisper as you walk, walk in. And the light shining through all of the uh, beautiful stained glass uh, windows and you're not sure exactly how you should behave. Uh, even if you've been in church a long time in your life, you're still not quite sure uh, what you should do. And I, I remember the, the groom was standing up there, and I, it, the pastor said something about pledging your troth, and he looked around to his best man and said, Did I bring that? <laughs> you know, and I, Those are words. And sometimes words are meaningful. Sometimes we haven't uh, studied them very much. We haven't figured them out. We haven't applied them particularly. Um, This is a quote from uh, James Boyce, who has written a four-volume commentary on the Gospel of John. And uh, just listen to what he says here, just about speaking and the words. Towards the end of his short and valuable book, The Idea of Revelation and Recent Thought, Professor John Bailey of Edinburgh University in Scotland, tells of a complaint he once received about Christianity. The man making the complaint was a legal representative of one of the American universities. He said, you speak of trusting God, of praying to Him, and doing His will, but it's also one-sided. We speak to God, we bow down before Him, we lift our hearts up to Him, but He never speaks to us. He makes no sign. The man who spoke these words, of course, was wrong in his viewpoint, uh, says Boyce. Still, he was speaking for millions of people who would like to have a sure word from God, but who have not heard it and doubt that God has spoken. God has spoken, but they have not heard Him. Thus, they consider the heavens to be silent and God to be unconcerned. Uh, Luther coined the term... Uh, Deus absconditus, the hidden God, the God that uh, we couldn't see. For these very reasons, uh, as, uh, as Boyce outlines as well. And he brought this up uh, because of the, the mindset of the words that have been spoken through the centuries uh, as well. And I uh, When you see uh, the words, for instance, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the Jewish mind, 
when those words just in the beginning pop up in the Jewish mind, they always hearken back to this particular passage in Genesis chapter 1. Um, if you heard the words uh, inalienable rights uh, or other words that uh, were just used in, for instance, the Declaration of Independence, you'd, your mind would immediately shift back there as well. When uh, we see this particular passage in John chapter 1, within the first verses, in the beginning was the Word, uh, their minds immediately would shift back to this passage that we read in the Old Testament, or the First Testament, if you will. So in the Jewish mindset, uh, when, when God uh, spoke and created, uh, for instance, he said, let there be light. Uh, and, and there was. There wasn't a, a time period, a blank screen for a while, that sort of thing. But it just all of a sudden took place and it happened. In the Jewish mind, uh, the word for word is a, means a, a creative event. Uh, it speaks of power. Uh, it speaks of um, everything that is, is behind what happens and what takes place. Not only in our lives, but in the universe, in the world. And so we have uh, uh, God's Word, which is, is Scripture. Previous to that, we have the, the natural universe that's, that's been created. In, in Romans, for instance, chapter 1, uh, Paul writes that it's because of the invisible things, the invisible things that we don't see, we, we know behind the things that we do see, there is something that is there. In the Greek mind, and John was writing in this particular passage in the first chapter of John, he was writing to both Greeks and uh, uh, the Jewish population that was there. And so uh, the Jews would, would uh, hear this first portion, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And they would, they would think immediately of the creative power the source of all, everything that has been. And they would assign that meaning to the word, word. The Greeks, on the other hand, uh, had to come up with a, a description of something. Heraclitus, a, a Greek philosopher, about 600 years before Christ, uh, was looking at, at a stream one day, and he came up with the phrase, you never step in the same river twice. And what he meant, of course, was the water goes by, and so it's just different. As you step in. And what he was talking about was everything's in change. Everything's changing all around us all the time. Uh, and he coined the term logos, or logos, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, and that held the idea of continuing change. But his friends that were also philosophers, great thinkers, uh, and this fell on down through to Plato and Socrates hundreds of years later, um, they looked at, at that statement and they said, well, yeah, things are always changing, but why aren't they chaotic? Why aren't there cha they, the things just totally out of, or, or out of order? Uh, and so they thought that that word, word, 
should contain something that expresses uh, some orderliness. Someone, they later came up with, that would provide order. And so that's the term that John uh, put to work in this in John chapter 1. So in the beginning was the word, the, from the Greek standpoint, they'd look at it and they'd think, huh. They'd think, uh, yeah, they, the, the power behind everything that is. All the, uh, you know, 200 billion or more stars in the Milky Way. How, you've counted a bunch of those. I got up to 632 one night. The cell phone rang, and I started one, two, three. You, you think of billions of stars in just the Milky Way galaxy, which is a middle-sized kind of galaxy. And then you think of 400 billion galaxies that we're thinking about. Some uh, astronomers have suggested that there's way more than that. Each of those stars, of course, are suns, very much like our sun. And you think, that's unbelievable. That has to tell us something. Carl Sagan, who was uh, an atheist, to my account, and an evolutionist, and thought that everything came about uh, and, uh, from some, something and became something, that which we see and admire through the universe, he called all of that a cosmos. And you remember his series, perhaps, Cosmos. Do you know what that word means? It means ordered. He was simply saying it's all ordered. It's all put together. And you're right back to the Greek mind that says, well, who did that? What was that about? And so we're up to Acts chapter 17, which some of you are familiar with, that tells us that uh, Paul was, was talking to some people in Athens and great philosophers, Stoics, etc. And he said, I walked through your graveyards and I saw a, a stone that was labeled to an unknown God. Archaeologists have discovered another one that says simply, to whom it may concern. <laughs> Which is what we're left with if God hasn't spoken to us. But Scripture simply tells us that He has. And that's what we're looking at this morning in a passage like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. All of a sudden, Word takes on personality, doesn't it? Through Him. And that's what people pondered throughout history when they looked at that word logos. It's translated that in the Septuagint uh, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's translated as logos. And so people were familiar with that term, but they hadn't connected it with the person of Jesus Christ. And John does that very eloquently in this particular passage. He was with God in the beginning. Through things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Several statements about what this word is like are present in, in just these first few sentences um, in, in uh, this portion. Uh, the true light that uh, 
everyone, uh, light, true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, through, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. They hadn't been exposed to the logos, uh, the uh, one that was the creative power and authority behind everything in the universe. Now, when you look at it, just a, a, a human being, how could you possibly arrive at the conclusion that they threw the stars into the universe and created the earth and created mankind? Did you and I, uh, all of us with our uh, looking at the trillions of stars and thinking that here there are what is it? The scientists are now saying there's about 37.2 trillion cells in the human body. The same number of cells in the human body that we can count in the universe. And they're all here in this, in this very compact kind of format. And people look at that and they think, huh. Who could put that into orderly existence so that it works together? All those 37.2 trillion cells in you today are cooperating with each other. When they go to war, you know it. You're not here, you're in bed, right? And the masterful process of that orderliness is what John is talking about, and that's contained in the word logos. That which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, uh, but born of God. And then in verse 14 of that same chapter, the Word, all of a sudden, takes on not just human personality, but human flesh. And the description, of course, uh, that John is bringing to us is of Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, in a, an Old Testament book, uh, Exodus, I think it's chapter 40 or so, the uh, story that, that the Jews would, would have been familiar with and have read uh, over and over again is the idea that uh, God's glory came and dwelt with us. The word that's used there is tabernacled. We don't live in tabernacles, most of us. Now, I've known a few up here in the county that do. Um, and when you think of, of that, we don't think normally of a tent made out of wool. You can imagine that those are really nice in a very dry climate, but in a wet climate, they not only get heavy, but they don't smell any too good either. It's a little bit like a wet dog kind of smell, not a fun place to necessarily spend your time. This tabernacling that takes place is the exact same word that is here, made his dwelling among us. He tabernacled among us. In other words, he made his dwelling among us. So in the Gospel of John, as you read through it, you will read the phrases in Christ or Christ in you some 50 times. And this is the idea of him dwelling where? In his people, among his people. And they were used to that thought from the Old Testament that he would come and, and actually set up a place, a place where we could live. 
And then John brings it even further than that. And he says, he will dwell in you. So we read another passage in Scripture that you might tie in to this thought. The idea of what? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, of God dwelling in you, the indwelling Christ or Messiah. Now, who could do that? Only God. Only God could do that. And that's what John is getting to when he brings these passages uh, to our minds. And so all of a sudden, uh, it becomes more important for us to understand that this true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world... He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to those that did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Um, As he does that, as he brings that light into our lives, all of a sudden we wonder, how is it that God can see, or that people around us can see God's light in our lives? And I think, particularly of myself, And I often think, I'm not a really good example of that light. You know, when people look at me, who do they see? Uh, Someone uh, that errs, someone that's a little cranky from time to time, uh, someone that doesn't have the power and authority to even accomplish, you know, my own purposes, my own will, my own direction. I can't control circumstances around my life. But God can. And I'm thinking, how do people see that light if that light is inside us? Well, Paul writes later, we have that light in jars of clay. I think back to the time when I made my first clay pot, put it in the oven. You remember this? You remember doing something like this? You remember what happened to that clay pot when you put it in the oven? It, yeah, cracked. Maybe split right apart. And your grade went from an A down to a... And you had to remake it again. That sort of thing. We have this treasure in jars of clay. This light of God, the way that that light will shine out of our lives is through the very imperfections that I am afraid that I have and I'm embarrassed for people to know about and see. But God, in His grace, uses even our imperfections to demonstrate his glory to others. And that's what John is talking about, this creative word that he has placed in our hearts and in our lives that both the Jew and the Greek would recognize, ah, we've talked about this for centuries, is the very one that takes up residence in our hearts uh, and in our minds. I want to give you a a quote from uh, Plato. Probably you didn't expect to hear a quote from Plato this morning. And uh, I'm hopeful that I can find it here. Here it is. It, Plato said this. Speaking of, of uh, again, of the uh, idea of uh, some ordering, rational uh, power that works in us and uh, in, within the universe. And, and he says this, It may be that someday there will come forth from God a word, a logos, who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. 
Isn't that perceptive of him? He was a smart guy. We, we know that, right? And you probably don't remember that quote necessarily because it's not used a whole lot of the time. But Plato himself said maybe someday that whatever that ordering force is will reveal itself in a, in a word, a word that will come. John says that word has come. This is who we're talking about in this first chapter of John. Some of the other characteristics uh, that we see uh, with uh, uh, that the, the Jew particularly would fall on, this comes from uh, Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, again, focus on that word, word. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host. By the breath of his mouth, he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. Another passage from uh, Hebrews is, is this one. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That word firstborn uh, means preeminent over. It's, it's not a birth order type of situation. For in him, the Son, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him, and he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, one of the passages, uh, one of the translators uh, uses the word, everything consists by his power. What holds us together in the form of a human being so we can recognize each other is God's power, His force, His authority. Physicists haven't figured out what that is. They call it a great force, lesser force, that sort of thing. But it's these forces that are invisible, right? But they're present. As a matter of fact, they're stronger than anything we can see. And this is the power of our work, even in each of us. Even if we don't believe that He's there, He still has you glued together. And that's pretty exciting. So we see this passage in, in, uh, uh, that, that tells us that Jesus Christ is the creator. And then we have another passage. Um, that was from Colossians chapter 1. This is from Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And you remember how he spoke to the prophets. Moses, a burning bush, etc. Sometimes an out loud voice. Sometimes a quiet voice, sometimes in a theophany, an appearance of angelic beings to uh, the individuals uh, as well. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. I think Jesus is God's last word, in a sense. But it's also the first word. It is the expression of the invisible God that we can see and watch, and touch, and understand. He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Uh, that's why Jesus told Philip, I, I've been around you for a long time, and, and yet you ask me to show you the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. 
And that's the origin of these statements is all from the spoken word. The word made flesh dwelling among us. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so these passages uh, bring to light the whole idea of what God has done uh, for us in, in so many ways. And why he has done these things, obviously, is because of his grace, his compassion, his willingness to inhabit the most lowly of tents that's you and me. He's tabernacling among us. He's tenting among us. There's a passage in Romans chapter 12 that has been important to me. It talks about uh, don't take vengeance. Allow God to uh, uh, vindicate your rights. And we oftentimes want to vindicate our own rights. I want to make sure that you know that I'm right. Um, oftentimes it comes out, I want to make sure that you know you're wrong. But we, in the process, we try to do this. And Paul's writing there, and he simply says, let, let God do this. Let him take care of it. Uh, for he's the one, he prefaces that kind of statement with, he's the one that has came, come and set up shop within you. Now, because he loves for us to volunteer. He wants us to choose Him and choose His direction and purpose in our lives. And that's why He tells us very simply that we need to change from going our way and change to desiring to go His direction, His way. Change from what... uh, the Bible calls sin going my way and going his direction. Process called repentance, which you're familiar with. And we ask him into our hearts, into our lives. God, my prayer has always been to him. Make me into the person you want me to be. Because the person I want me to be isn't working out. And that's the message that God is is giving us today. It's a radical one. It's one that uh, has been proclaimed throughout the ages. Literally started, uh, you know, for the the Jew as they stumbled into Genesis chapter 1. Of course, you remember the creation story uh, in the garden, in the beginning. Jesus Christ was with God in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God face to face. That phrase speaks of of persons, personality, facing each other. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. This is the one that wants to take up residence in your life. Uh, We're a little resistant to that, aren't we? I like having my way. And I'm sure you like having yours as well. Um, We can be compassionate. We can be friendly. 
I've met many, many people that were so much nicer than others that said that they were Christians. Um, spoke for a while with, with one friend that uh, actually he came out of a, a bar one night on Wakuda Street, 7th and Wakuda in, in St. Paul area. He came out of a bar and he had a baseball bat and as he was walking down the street, he was hitting the tops of parking meters and trying to get loose change. And cops just rolled by. They didn't want to stop and meet this guy face to face. He had steel plates in his head from where he'd been in battles with other officers and that sort of thing. And my friend Mickey Kelman and uh, Mickey looked at me and he looked down the street at Jimmy and he said, Bill, tonight's the night. I said, what for? And he said, tonight's the night that Jimmy's going to come face to face with Jesus Christ. And to make a long story short, within just about six or seven minutes, Jimmy was on his knees, one of the toughest, roughest men. Used to run drugs over the, over the Mexican border. First time I met him, he had a pearl-handled forty-five and a big Fu Manchu mustache and just was absolutely threatening and was threatening. And he gave his life to Christ. The, the funny part of this is he, he jumped up and he ran over and he grabbed this, this little guy that was probably 80 pounds. And he lifted him up with one hand and shoved him against a plate glass window and said, You need Jesus too. <laughs> I remember seeing Jimmy numerous times after that. You would never have recognized him as a Christian, as a believer. He was rough. But I saw changes taking place in him. And because God is patient and gracious, he takes his time as he changes us from this point to this point to this point. And we grow in him and we begin to see the light moving out. He didn't want to kill me anymore, for instance. He said, good thing. Those changes oftentimes are so slow, we're not willing to spend the time around individuals that are in the middle of change. I want it my way. I want God to do His work my way, rather than wanting God to do His work His way. Think about the Word. Even the past, found in Scripture found in the person of Jesus Christ himself that wants to come and dwell your heart and life. Make your prayers an active part of your life, inviting him to direct you this day, infuse you with his love, his mercy, his compassion, his patience. All of those things that we know compose the word love. It's all wrapped up in the word, word. Let me close with prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time together as we move into a time of, of uh, offering, of communion. I ask you, Father, to uh, bless what we give to you just as a, as a symbol, <laughs> a paltry symbol at best, of what you've given to us. You actually allow us to live in a universe that you've created. You've actually allowed us to live in a home, in a place, a world 
that has great beauty and offers so much variety. And we haven't earned any of that. And so we give back to you today a little bit of what you have given us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.